are hundreds of children that are going to be able to go to school uh, with shoes this year because yesterday you guys gave hundreds of pairs of shoes for our school system. So praise God. Give a hand for those of us that did that. Thank you so much. It's just the beginning. The school year is just beginning. We're going to be able to care for the welfare of our city. And we do that because of who we are in Christ. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And we're called to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And so we're starting a new series today. And we're talking about the passion of the kingdom of God and what that looks like. You know, everyone's got problems. Everyone in this room has got problems. Uh, some have more than others. I, I love the story that Dr. Tony Evans uh, shares uh, about a man who had a lot of problems. So he wanted to get some help uh, carrying the burden of his problems. And so he offered $1,000 to someone who would, would come and help carry the burdens of concern uh, for, for, his, for his problems. And so the guy showed up. He said, I'll take the job. He said, fantastic. He said, where's my $1,000? He said, that's your first problem you need to concern yourself with. As born-again believers, there's a lot of things that, that can concern us. The most important thing I would tell you that we need to be concerned about is our passion. Where's our passion? Passion is powerful. When, when a person has passion about something, they'll sacrifice for it. They'll, they'll focus in on it. It'll inspire other people. Passion has a way of, of, of creating sacrifice within us. And, and those of us, those of us who are citizens of the kingdom of God, listen, we can't just show up and go through the motions. We're in a spiritual war. If we're going to have any kind of success, we've got to be passionate about obeying God. In this series, what we're going to do is we're going to study the passion of the kingdom of God. We here at Living Hope, we understand there's five fundamental commands of Christ that we are to be passionate about. And you see it in the disciples' cross. You've seen this before. This is what we're going to focus on the next few weeks. There's five things. Gather for worship, equip for growth, Connect in groups, serve the church and world, and make more disciples. This is the passion of the kingdom of God. And, and what we are going to do is, is we're going to focus in on these things and understand to do them. And to do them well, it requires passion. Friends, none of those things are hard. But they all require passion. Isn't it amazing what people will do when they have a passion? I mean, I think about people who have a passion for food and the amount of weight they're willing to carry and the health issues that they'll face because they, they have a passion to eat. Or, or, or people have a passion to succeed, how much stress that they'll go through and deal with because they have a passion to achieve. Or, or athletics, the, those who are willing with a passion to suffer and to, and to go through so much difficulty and pain because they, they have a, a passion to compete. Friends, Christians, born-again believers, we have a problem. It's a passion problem. And, and God is calling us as citizens of the kingdom of God to have the passion of the kingdom of God. Today, we're going to focus on the passion to serve the church and world. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Acts chapter 28. And what we're going to see here is, is it's going to help us understand what is required what is required to, to, to have the passion to serve uh, the, the church and world. So we're in Matt, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 28. Garner's going to read for us. Garner, come on up. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. We're looking at the last two verses of the book of Acts. So we're in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. If you get to Romans, just hang a left and you're right there. This is Acts chapter 28. Again, the last two verses, 30 and 31. Why don't you read that for us, Garner? He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God. 
and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Garner. If you guys would go ahead and be seated and pray now for the uh, preaching of God's word. Uh, later this fall and uh, starting in September, we're going to actually do a, a flyby, a quick uh, s study of the book of Acts. Uh, but I want you to get a sense of what's going on here. So go back to verse 17 there in, in Acts 28. And what you'll see, uh, Paul is explaining himself. He's explaining them, himself to the, to the Jews and to Gentiles as to who he is and, and, and why he's there in Rome. I mean, there, there were good questions as to his credibility. I mean, after all, he was under house arrest. And he was concerned that maybe letters had been sent from Jerusalem that were calling into question his integrity. And so what he's doing, he's explaining his ministry. He's explaining his life. And, and we're getting to see what it is that, that God called him to do. The, the apostle, he was... He was, he, was, he was a pretty impressive fellow. <laughs> you know, you think about his salvation. Again, Acts chapter 9, I encourage you to go and read about it. We're going to study it again this fall. How he met the risen Christ and was saved. How he gave his life to, to serve. But what it cost him. He described the cost. When he was writing to the church at Corinth, this is, uh, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen how the apostle described his life in ministry. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Here, here's what the Romans learned. They learned 40 lashes would kill a man. So here's what they do. They'd give them 39 so that they would live in agonizing pain. Five times the apostle dealt with this. He experienced this. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Friends, this is not a person who has a slight interest in spiritual things. This is a person who is living out a passion of the kingdom of God. This is a person who was focused in on what he believed and was living it out. And there was, there's one reason why he did it. And he says it over and over. There's one reason why the apostle Paul did what he did. It's because of Jesus. A deep love for Jesus that produced a passion of the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus commands all of us to live a life of service. And we're to look to the eternal reward that comes from that. This is Luke chapter 12, verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. This eschatological vision, this vision of the return of Christ when those who have served well, Jesus himself will serve us. Out of, out, of a, out of a gratitude and a celebration of his great grace that was at work in us and through us as we served his purpose. We're to use our gifts and abilities to serve the kingdom of God. This is 1 Peter 4.10. I want to explain some confusion about this. So, so kind of heads up on this. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. 
There were well-intended people who about 50 years ago began to offer things called spiritual gift inventory tests. And I understand what they were used for. It was to give insight to believers into understanding how God had gifted them. Right now, you can take uh, all kinds of uh, personality tests. You can even take aptitude tests about your natural abilities. But let me encourage you not to make a mistake that many of God's people have made over the years and to say something foolish like, oh, well, I can't do that because, you know, that's not really my spiritual gift. Friends, hear me. The need is the call. What the church needs and what the world needs is the call. What you and I are to do is to meet the call with the gifts, with the personalities, with the abilities God has given us. It's not for us to rate our like or dislike of any particular need. It is ours to meet the need with what God has given to us. And so our answer is always, yes, Lord, yes, what is needed, I will step in. That's what those of us who are citizens of the kingdom of God are expected to do. We're expected to serve like Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 25? But Jesus called them and, uh, to him and said, you, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and, and, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came to not to be served, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, we are not to try to control and manipulate people. We're not, we're not here to take on worldly power. We are here to serve as the body of Christ, to serve others and to follow the example of Jesus. You know, Jesus changed the world. And how did he change it? Did he change it with armies or with political power? Did, did he do it by, by, by any kind of ostentatious appearance? No, what did Jesus do? I, I love the description of historian Philip Schaff. He wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander the Great, Caesar, Mohammed, and Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of school, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since and produced efforts which lie beyond the reach of orator or poet. Without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. I, I had a friend of mine that was a part of our congregation, trained to, to, to understand God's work in the world. He was over in Europe and recently got back. He was with some very influential business people and he happened in a meeting to, to speak of, of his identification with Christ. And over a dinner, uh, someone asked him, maybe condescendingly, how in the world can you be a Christian? And, and my friend... He spoke to not his belief in institutionalism or systems, but in a person. And, and, and he quoted in response to, to this person's question, because of the difference that this person has made, he spoke of this one solitary life. He spoke of this person. He said he was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a house. He 
didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things one usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was, he was turned over to his enemies and he went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliament that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on earth as much as that one solitary life. There is no one like Jesus. He has changed the world through service by being a servant. It was, it was interesting that dinner, someone nearby said, I didn't know that. I, I, I can't imagine believing that or having a worldview like that. He said, friend, what year were you born? He said, 1962. 19, he said, 1962 what? He said, what do you mean? He said, 1962 AD. You, <laughs> you measure your life by him. You do have a perspective of him. There has never been anyone like Jesus. He changed the world, but he didn't do it with the, with the principalities of power as we understand them. He did it by being a servant and he calls us to serve the church and world. Now to do that, there's some requirements and that's what we see in our text today. Let's make our way back now to Acts chapter 28. Let's focus on these last two verses and let's understand what is required. What is required? Serving the church and the world like Jesus requires four things and the first one is this. It requires sacrifice. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to, it's going to take, it's going to take a lot. If you will look at verse 30, look at the first part. Speaking of the apostle's life at that time, it says he lived there two whole years at his own expense. When I, when I think about this man, I cannot tell you how amazed I am at his sacrifice. I mean, understand, the Apostle Paul was, was one of the most gifted intellectuals of his day. He, he was sitting in, a, in a, a house prison when he could have been back in Jerusalem as a scholar. He could have been Dr. Paul, had his own show, right? Had all these people to pay him money to hear him teach and to hear him talk about all the things he knew. This is a guy who never got married. He, he had to sacrifice family. He had, he had to sacrifice all those, those blessings to, to be able to, to serve God. And, 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 he, and he had to stay in that place for two years. Paul was a world traveler. You know what he wanted to do? He wanted to go to Spain. He wanted to go further west where no one had ever been, where they probably never heard of Yahweh. He wanted to go where the name of God had never been spoken to make disciples and plant churches. But where was he? He was under house arrest at his own expense. And even that, we know that the expense that, that he was paying came from the support of the church at Philippi. We know this because while he was in prison, Paul wrote the letters of Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. These are the prison epistles that we have today while, while he was under house arrest. And, and, and he was willing to do something very difficult. Paul was willing to sacrifice 
his dreams for God's plan. He was willing to give up what he had all planned out for what God could do. He followed the example of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said hours before he died his atoning death? He prayed and he said, God, if there's any way, take this cup from me. But then he said, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus is the example. And how tragic it is for, for people to forge our own paths and to miss God's best. We, we are to be like Jesus and sacrificially serve, writing to that, that church that, that was funding him. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, the apostle wrote, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Friends, I must ask you, what might you need to sacrifice in order to be in God's will and serve his purpose? Financial resources, emotional energy, time. What might you need to change in your life that will be a sacrifice so that you can fulfill God's plan? While you're thinking about that, let's go to the second thing, second word. Serving the church and world, the world like Jesus requires, secondly, hospitality. Hospitality, what a wonderful word. What, what a wonderful teaching of the New Testament for all who, who trust in Jesus Christ. Look at the last part of verse 30. So here he is under house arrest, and, and what is he doing? And welcomed all who came to him. Now at this point, the Apostle Paul was probably in his late 50s. And what was he doing? Look in verse 23. Look at the description of the work he was doing at this point. So he's under house arrest, but morning until evening, he was teaching people about the gospel. He was showing them from the Old Testament prophets and he was being able to speak to the law and how all of this was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something, it was exhausting. Say, so how do you know? Well, I'll tell you because in about two hours, no one will be able to reach me because I'm going to be in such a deep sleep. It will be nearly impossible to wake me up. And I know I'm a sissy, but after three sermons, I'm done. Now this guy, he, from morning till evening, what's he doing? He's teaching, he's teaching with passion. Because you know what he's not doing? He's not just communicating information. No, no, no. He's, he's sharing hope and it's, he's effective. I mean, what's amazing is who heard him? You know who actually also heard him? The Roman guard. Now, there was one commentator I read that said that, that Paul, under house arrest, was actually chained to a prison guard. And, and that may be true. I, I don't know house arrest, if, if that was accurate or not. But here's what we do know. That Paul impacted the imperial guard. Writing again to that church that was sponsoring him in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 1. Look what he wrote. I put it on the screen. He said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to, and, and to all the, the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. What happened? These people got saved. I mean, they're sitting there day in, day out, watching people come in. Paul's answering their questions, explaining the gospel, and some of them got saved. And they began to talk amongst the imperial guard. This apostle Paul guy, he's legit. He's not a clown. He's not, trying to, he's not trying to take advantage of people. This guy is, is telling good news. And, and the word spread about the apostle. Why? Because of his hospitality. Because he was willing to, to open his life. When Paul began his ministry and his missionary journeys, 
One of the first letters that he wrote, well, the first letter he wrote was to the church at Thessalonica. It's one of the earliest European churches. And what, what he wrote to them and commanded them to do, he was still doing in that prison some, some 30 plus years later. This is what he wrote to, in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become so very dear to us. He'd opened up his life. He let people not just hear from him, but see him and be a part of his experience. That's what hospitality is. I put it on the screen for you. Hospitality is the act of welcoming guests and strangers. It's opening up your life to allow them to be a part of it, to see it and to experience it. And we need hospitality here at the church. Many of you have, have been the recipients of hospitality this morning. As you were parking, you had a place to park. Some of you were showed where to park. As you entered in, there was probably someone at the door that said, good morning, we're glad to see you. If you have any questions, let us know. There are those who are serving in the, in the, in the lobby there at Guest Connect. Happy to answer questions. Friends, we need more people there. We have some real tough people, tough people that serve. They were serving in the last hour and they, those are our preschool workers because they are tough. They can, they, can, they, can, they can smell stuff that can knock a grown man down and they can, they can hold their own. They serve. Friends, we got to have, and only members can do this. Only members can work with children. And, and you do have to have a background check because we're very serious about security here. But friends, we need you. You need to be serving. And, and one of the easiest ways is to be a part of our welcome ministry, our media ministry. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to be hospitable. We're trying to make it easy for people to know where to sit, where to go, and, and how to feel comfortable. Let me tell you what's going to happen. I've been here 21 falls. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. It's happened every year. This time of year, we're going to start having people show up. There's going to be college students. There's going to be families. There's going to be senior adults. And you know what? They're going to walk in to this, this lobby over here, and they're going to say, hey, where's the worship center? And we're going to be like right there. And we can be sarcastic about it or we can say, hey, it's right there. Come here, let me show you. Let me, you know, there's going to be people that are going to show up and they're going to say, where's the children's area? And that's a very good question. Where is the children's area? Especially for middle school. It takes a detective to find the middle school area right now because it's under construction. And so if you find it, let me know. I'd like to know. And so that we need people that will say, here, let me show you where to go. Let me walk with you. Tell me your story. Why are you here? How'd you get to be here? Hospitable. Now, to sign up for this, it's real, it's, it's very, very complicated. Let me tell you what you got to do. You have to have an email address and you have, to, you have to open up an email and you have to type in serve at lhbg.org. And, and then in the subject line, something like, I'll help. And, and then maybe like, I'll help in the body of the thing, which I know that's hard. And then you have to send it. I'm, I know, complicated, so difficult. I'm sure you'll have to pray a month on this. I'm sure. Do you feel the sarcasm coming from me? This is not hard, friends. Finding a place to serve is easy. Fulfilling that calling, that's hard. Hospitality is not easy. We're called to it, though. You know, one of the things that hospitality will afford you, not just at church, but in life, is the opportunity to share. You know, right now, Pastor Bill is having some of the most effective ministries he's had because he's a hospitable person. And let me tell you what he's doing. He did it this week. He took a man out for breakfast, and uh, he said, you know, we're friends. You've traveled with our senior adults. You've been a part, you know, of our ministry in some degree. He said, look, here's what we need. We both know I'm about to die. I'm about to go to heaven. I need to know, are you going to be in heaven with me? 
And the guy was like, whoa. And Pastor Bill's like, dude, you know me. We got to talk about this because I don't know how much time. You know, that, but you know what? You know why Pastor Bill could do that? Because he had been hospitable to this man. He'd spent time with him. He knew, he, he, he knows Pastor Bill's legit. He knows his heart. And they had a great conversation. And thank God that brother's going to be in heaven. You know, hospi hospitality, it's, it's, it's so informal also. You know, again, you know, one of the guys that, that we trained uh, to, to be a part of, of ministry um, here Again, this MIT is going to be so great, but we had a guy and he was sharing this with me to talk about the effectiveness of three circles, but he was on an airplane in a very expensive seat and, and someone came in that seemed like they were really having a hard time. So he did something. He gave up his very expensive seat and he took a, 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 a far worse seat in, in another part of the airplane. And when he sat down, there was a young guy who had been watching. He said, I can't believe you just did that. I can't imagine. I don't think I would ever do that. And, and, and the guy said, you know, I, I wouldn't do it for me, but I'd do anything for Jesus. And the guy said, oh no, you're not one of those, are you? And he said, well, I don't know. I don't know what one of those means, but let me tell you what it means to me. And, and he had three circles on his phone. And he said, I think the world's a broken place. And he just walked him through the gospel. He walked him through the transformation that he experienced by the grace of God. You know what opened the door for that conversation? Hospitality. Being kind. Opening it up and being willing to share. Friends, let me ask you a question. What changes might you need to make in order to be more hospitable so that others can hear of Christ? What changes do you need? Do you need to, do you need to give more emotional time to people? Do you need to invite people? Do you need to step out of your comfort zone? Make it easier for other people? How do you need to change your life and your attitude? As you're thinking about that, let's talk about the third word and write this down and remember. Serving the church and world like Jesus requires boldness. Requires boldness. Uh, go to verse 31. So here he is. He's teaching night, night and day, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. Friends, boldness is not brashness. People who are brash are dangerous. They are hurtful. They are unwise. They are untrustworthy because they are unstable. Brash people, it's, I had a guy I played ball with who was brash and he was a phenomenal athlete, but he cost us games because he would run his mouth and he would do stuff that was outside the plan because he was brash. Then he would say things and he would do things that were completely inappropriate. There are so many Christians who are brash. And they say things that are wrong and they do things that are wrong and they hurt the cause of Christ. We are not called to be brash. We're not called to be people name call. By the way, if you've, if, if, if you've fallen into name calling, here's what you need to know. You've already lost the argument. I love D.A. Carson. I remember at a pastor's conference years ago, he said, boys, if they start calling you names, good news. That means they know they've lost the argument. Friends, you don't have to be brash when you're bold. Being bold is being confident. I'm, here's the definition. Being bold is being confident in speech and action, but not condescending or disrespectful. Paul was bold. I mean, don't do it right now. Acts 24, Acts 25, he's standing before royalty at, at possibly the expense of his life and he's being bold. He's not being disrespectful. He's not being brash, but he's telling the truth. He's sharing the story and he's doing it boldly. 
with love. Friends, are you bold for Christ? Friends, what changes might you need to make in order to be bold for Christ? Not brash, bold. Last, last thing, last, last word. Serving the church and world like Jesus requires focus. Focus. Look at the last three words of the book of Acts in verse 31. And without hindrance. There was nothing that was keeping the apostle from doing his ministry. There was no, he, although he was under house arrest, he was able to, to perform his ministry. He, right now in the USA, Christians, like all religious groups, are protected by the First Amendment. It's on the screen. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Like the Apostle Paul, we are free to proclaim the kingdom of God and teach about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. But unfortunately, many don't. And we have excuses. Here are my top three favorites. I don't have time. I don't have understanding. You know, I just really don't have the opportunity. You know what? We all have time. You're, you're, you made a choice with your time this morning. You're going to have some decisions to make this afternoon about what you're going to do with your time. You have the choice. What's happened is you've lost focus. You've allowed someone to derail you from focusing on the kingdom of God and have convinced you that that's not the good use of your time. And so you're using your time else in other places. Some say, well, I don't have any understanding. It's not because you're not intelligent enough. Let me assure you of that. You have the capability of understanding the doctrine of the, of the Bible, but here's what you're not doing. You're not focused on it. You're not focused on it. And then there are those that, well, I don't, I, don't know any, I don't know any lost people. Why is that? Why don't you have friends that don't agree with you? Why aren't you talking to family members that don't agree with you? Let me tell you what's happened. Is that for the last three years, everyone's been arguing about politics and culture and all kinds of stuff. And there are actually Christians who say, well, I'm just not going to talk to you anymore. Boy, isn't that like Jesus? I'm not gonna, we're not gonna get together with you anymore because you don't vote like me and you don't, you don't talk like me and you don't agree with me. So I'm not gonna talk to you anymore. That's a winner. That's, I'm sure you can find that all over the place in the New Testament that that's how Christians are supposed to live. Come on, y'all. What are we supposed to, we're supposed to love. And we're supposed to, with boldness, not brashness, boldness, speak the truth in love. And that means we're going to need to talk to people that don't agree with us, that might even call us names. And that should make us smile because then we know we've won the argument. We just need to keep leaning in because the truth is the truth. But we keep making excuses. You know, years ago, I preached a sermon very similar to this one. And uh, after the service, an older man came to me and it scared me because he said, I totally disagree with everything you just said. And I was like, oh man, what did I just say? You know, he started running through. Uh, I said, well, what, what, I said, well on, on what basis? And uh, the basis was pretty, pretty sound. He said, uh, based on what my pastor and my mama told me. Now, I don't mind arguing with preachers, but mamas scare me a lot. And I thought, well, well what, did your, what did your mama and your pastor say? And he said, well, they said that it's the, it's the pastor's job. It's your job to go and tell people. 
And our job is to go make the money and pay and pay you to go do that work. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so relieved that you were so wrong and I am so right on this. Because <laughs> I was nervous, right? And I said, get your Bible. Let's go to Ephesians 4.12 and put it on the screen. Here's the pastor's job description. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Our job is to train the priesthood of the believers, which is every born again person, to do the work of the ministry. It says in Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. If you are born again, the Spirit of God is now alive in you. Jesus Christ, the risen King is Lord over you. That's a lot of power. Friends, what are you doing with that power? If you've been born again, and you're under the King of Kings and Lord, that's a lot of power. Please tell me you're doing more than sitting on the bench and complaining. Please tell me you're doing more than showing up when it's convenient and doing the least. Friends, please tell me that what you're given financially is hard. Please tell me that, that you barely have enough time to pray for all the concerns that the Lord has placed on your heart. Please tell me that you're praying for lost people that are your dear friends that you love so very much and your family that you're close to, even though you don't hardly agree on anything. Please tell me there's a place in the church if you miss on any given Sunday, there will be children and other people who say, where is he? Where is she? Please tell me that this power of God that has been given to you is doing more than sitting. Please tell me that. And if it's not, please change that right now, today, to serve the church and world like Jesus. Friends, it's, it's not really complicated, but it can be hard. It, it takes something, but can I tell you there's such a great reward? There's such a great reward. At the end of your life, you're gonna want to have served well, and you're, want, you're gonna want to be served. We have a, a dear saint who's soon to be with the Lord, and I wanna give you an update today on Pastor Bill in his own words. Listen to how he is living his last days and look for the joy in his eyes. Let's watch this together. Well, hello, church family. Uh, I just want to bring you one more update as to, to what the Lord's doing in my life and my family's life and the life of this church. Uh, the last month or so has been such a blessing. Uh, I went through one round of chemo, which was absolutely horrible. And if at some point you want to, hear about that, I'll go into a lot of detail about that. Probably the darkest place I've ever been in my life, but the Lord was faithful in that. And so we're, we're done with that. Uh, I entered the hospice last week. And so I want you to understand that that doesn't mean I'm a week away from dying or a month away from dying. Could be, I could be just hours away from dying. I don't know that, the Lord does. But hospice really provides an opportunity for, for me to enter into this last stage of life and, and really with some dignity and to continue to be able to minister. I've, I've been at work the last week and a half, half days, and, and still ministering in the afternoon and actually got to do a visitation yesterday at a, at a funeral. The things that I'm called to do and the things that I love doing and the things I'm passionate about doing, still get to do and, and hospice gives me that opportunity. So they're, they're taking good care of me at home. And uh, you know, at some point, maybe I'll end up at the hospice house, which would be okay too. But they're also taking care of my family, uh, my, my son and daughter and, and wife, Diane. We were all part of that decision and just a beautiful group of people. And so you've, you may have heard I'm in hospice. Yes, I am. And, uh, but I'm still functional and I'm still working and I'm still ministering the best I can until I can't anymore. 
and then this this wonderful staff at Living Hope will uh, will minister to me and my family. And uh, I just want to share a couple of things about what we've experienced from from the church family, from this community, and, and from the staff. I asked David Head. He's our he's our resident on staff wordsmith. Are there any new adjectives to, to express love and and uh, compassion and care? And he said, unfortunately, Bill, no. And so thank yous and I love yous just don't even come close to, to what we feel from our staff here at the church and, and our community, but most importantly, our church family. Undescribable. There's just no way to describe what we felt, what we've experienced. And you have done such a good job of taking care of Diane and showing her love and, and my daughter and my, my family, my son. And it's just been an incredible, beautiful expression of, of Christ's love through you. Living Hope is not a perfect church. You've got me on staff. That messes it up to start with. We're imperfect people, and but it's so beautiful to see that in 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 Christ and working through the Holy Spirit, the perfection that can be true love and, and true care and true compassion and, and just overwhelming uh, sacrificial heart and service that that expresses itself and has expressed itself to, to me and my family. I, I just want to challenge you again. As, as I reflect on my, on my life, make good memories with your families and friends. If there's, there are things that are not right in your, in your relationships, make those right in Christ. Reconcile to one another and love one another. Time is short. The other thing I would say is I've got so many opportunities lately just to share, uh, will, will you be with me in heaven? I think it's important. I want to know that if you're going to be with me in heaven. And, and just such an opportunity to share the hope that I have and, and to, to, to actually ask people about where they're going to spend eternity. I hope that you'll take that to heart too. So again, uh, thank yous, and I love you, and just not adequate. Absolutely not adequate for what we've experienced. And so it's with great joy. I, I just, again, uh, had the opportunity to share before you our great God and our Savior Christ and how He works in our life to do incredible things. And He has worked through you in this past month and a half in my family to do incredible things. And so I'm a very grateful man for a lot of things and thank you for blessing us. God bless you and I do love you. I God pay you. And if you don't know what that means, look it up or ask, ask David Head. He'll tell you because he knows Greek. Love you guys. There is a, there's a joy and a peace that comes to a life that has served the church and world like Jesus. There's a complete peace in it. And there's a joy of being served by people that love like Jesus. Now, you can't do that if you don't know Jesus. And some of you need to come today and you need to know Jesus. Some of you know Jesus, but you're not serving like Jesus. And you need to repent. And you need to come and get on your knees and renew your commitment to Christ to serve like Jesus. So if you don't mind, let's stand together. Care leaders, if you would come forward. These folks are here to pray with you and help you. Let me pray for you. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness. No matter what we go through in life, there's, there's no end to your goodness. So we can always praise you and be grateful can always live for you and your power because your power is sufficient your grace is sufficient so lord i pray you'll save some people today i pray that they'll repent and
trust in you, Lord Jesus. And I pray for others to renew their commitment to you because you are worthy, God. You are worthy. Thank you in Jesus' name.